Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Woohoo! Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. Very quick disclaimer, we are talking about some little, if there's sensitive ears around today, you might want to switch this podcast off. We're talking about SEX. Mom, what's SEX? I know. What is that lady talking about? Talking about sex. Baby, let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about sex in pregnancy. I had to change it so we didn't get in trouble. (laughs) Yes. So if you've got little tiny people around and you don't want them to know about all the details we're going to talk about. Too late. (laughs) Now they're really interested because their energy picked up that we didn't want them to hear. Well, I basically wanted to just flag it because... We we're not censoring the episode like we don't censor anything, so it's just going to be. We're, we're, Babe, you have censored me from the start. I've never been allowed to swear on here. <laughs> no, I would have been my authentic self on this podcast. I listened to something I did the other day, and I swore so much. I was like, "Mate, you really need to calm that down." <laughs> Probably why I said, "B, there's going to be one rule, and we're not allowed to swear on the podcast." <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Well, that's the only thing. I mean, that's, I feel like that's the only thing I've censored you about is don't. Yeah, 100%. All right. So I first, I've got like a list of disclaimers today. So firstly, neither B or I are sex experts or practitioners. We may be expert sex havers, but we're not qualified to give specific advice on sex like a sex therapist might be. But we can speak from our midwifery education and experience and our own personal experiences, but we're not talking about relationship-related sexual dysfunction in this episode. So we might touch on it, but that's not our area of expertise. So that's our first disclaimer. The other thing we are not talking about this podcast episode is sexually transmitted diseases in pregnancy or ways to manage and prevent this. So please, if you or your partner have a sexually transmissible disease, your healthcare provider is the best person to discuss safe sexual activity with you. And it's infection now, Mel. Come on, it's 2024. Sexually transmittable infection. So the context of this episode may not be the best for you if you are working at preventing transmission of an STI, sexually transmitted infection. What has happened to you? I am, you know what, I get enough angry messages and risks of being reported that I now our podcast starts with disclaimers, okay? Particularly <laughs> this is this is what the system does to people. Look what it's done. To, you've been you've been systemated. Oh gosh. I think so. We get so I reckon 94% of messages that I get about the podcast are amazing and encouraging. And if you've ever put a review on our podcast or a sent me a private message or an email about how much you love it. Oh my gosh, I read every single one and it keeps us going. And I can't respond to you all because there's a lot. But 6% of them are people telling us how we could do better. 
Yeah. And, and, and they just need to refocus, honey. They need to refocus on, on, on the so I just look at that and I go, do you know what, mate? I spend a whole day working for free to make this podcast and I'm not going to stop because I love it because it's making an impact, but I don't need someone getting into my inbox to telling me how to be a better podcaster. So this is Mel's working through that piece with some disclaimers. That's okay, honey. You do you, babe. Do you. Do what you need to do in this space because you're the one that cops it all. I I don't cop it like you do. So anyway, just okay. disclaim father- away, honey. We can we can sit here and hold this for you. Thank you, B. I appreciate that. My final disclaimer. Uh, sex in special circumstances. So if you have been told by your care provider that you can't have sex during your pregnancy, and there are some medical conditions where you can't even have orgasms in your pregnancy um, and, you know, where penetration is not recommended, that, again, we're not going to be able to touch on every single special circumstance. We will touch on some things, but we can't go into details in this episode. So, but having said that, if your practitioners told you not to have sex in pregnancy, I do still think you might benefit from this episode. Okay. And I just wanted to talk to the 6% for a second here. Um, It can be really um, easy and I've totally sat in this position myself where I've listened to something and critiqued it and been like, oh, they missed out on that or they didn't touch on that or they could have talked about this more. Um, Firstly, I want to say that these are like we just do these live. Half the time I turn up and I don't even know what the subject material is, which is not Mel's fault because she does send it to me. I just don't look. Um, And I think if we come at the world, and this is not just with a podcast, this is the whole world, if we always really look that everyone is trying to do the very best they can with what they have, which is is true to the 6% that are coming to us. They're just trying to improve things for the world. I totally see that. Um, but we're often really limited. Um, a, we're limited because we're registered health professionals. That that does place a huge limitation on how we can talk and what we can talk about. Um, but also we're limited in time and capacity. And, you know, we, we've turned up to this. My kids just started school yesterday. There's lots of big feelings in this house. Mel's currently sick. She's attending birth. Like, we're not going to be perfect. And I know 94% of you know that. It's the same with Instagram posts. Like there's only so much you can fit into a caption. There's only so much you can fit into a tile. And we're not your healthcare providers or the people you've employed to support you or care for you or your family. Um, So just think of us as being the people that unpick the thread um, but that more general, that more specific individual advice, it has to come from the people that you're trusting to care for you because we're not. As much as we'd love to care for all of you, we're not able to do that. And so this isn't medical advice and this isn't always going to be perfect because there will always be room for improvement. So I must say that there is a way to give constructive criticism. And oh, my goodness, so good. People, some people are just really kind and caring. I, we get that too. I would say that's, that's, that's the, they're in the 94%. People are amazing. They're in the 94 When you nurture somebody and you say, hey, this was epic, do you reckon next time you could talk about this? That's like I've learned. I've learned a lot from people that give me that kind of feedback. I'm like, oh yeah, hey, you've got a really great point. Um, because yeah, I think. But yeah, if if it's said in a nice way, it can be beautiful. But you still got to have capacity for that. That's right. And and the flip side is that 
if we're not willing at all ever to listen, then we'll keep making mistakes that that will get in the way of us sharing our message. So in a way, we should And there's no growth, right? No, there needs to be growth. But I don't want to receive the messages you like, I didn't like your last podcast episode because, and then a list of things that you didn't like, because I'm actually not going to change the podcast for you at all. Yeah. If you just send me a list of things you didn't like. But if you say, hey, I feel like you might have missed this massive point that I read about in this book. I'm like, whoa, what is the book? I did miss a massive point. I'm going to make sure if I ever do that episode again, that I'm going to talk about that. Oh, hey, we have done apologies on Instagram before. Like, whoa, we made a big mistake on the podcast the other day. And actually, here's our correction. So open to criticism, just just not anyway. Um, we, you and I can have a session, I'll help you work through that. But I feel like we needed to understand where all the disclaimers came from because I was like, Mel, what is happening? What just happened to the podcast? Well, sex is a very sensitive topic. And so, okay, I also have three things that we are talking about today. So I just told you what we're not talking about today. Here's what we are talking about. We're talking about consensual sex between two adults where it's a full body yes to use B's terms and Lael's terms. Both parties are willing participants, no manipulation or provocation. Please do not feel obligated to have sex based on the information we share today. There are some things that we discuss about the benefits of having sex during pregnancy, but I do not think that this should be your motivation for having sex. I love how much um, thought you've given to this subject and how you're trying to cater to everyone's needs. And that's what I want to acknowledge, that sex is a really sensitive topic and some people have had traumatic or um, upsetting relationship issues and sexual encounters, and so I. So if it's if this feels like it's going to be a trigger for you, I just think take responsibility and turn off this episode because me and B have got a very socially inappropriate sense of humor around a lot of things. Because and so I just realized that it could come across as completely insensitive to those who have big. Oh, I've just realized my prep for this session has been very different to yours. <laughs> I'm like ready to talk about how we need to orgasm more as women in order to be more creative and more fulfilled. And you're like, I'm just like, we are at different ends of the spectrum, which is going to make this podcast very interesting and entertaining. Oh, we're 20 minutes in and I'm still giving you a run through. Of, I know. That's of a lot. All right. Let's just, right. it's a foreplay. Um, we're foreplaying, which is essential in intimacy. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're treating the podcast like we would treat the body. So we're making sure everyone's wet before we go in. 100%. How good is that analogy? Yeah. Normally you come up with the great analogies. Today, that I'm, I mean, that was a good one. I feel, no, hang on. That was mine, babe. That was Hello. mine. Everyone, you said <laughs> foreplay. You said foreplay and then I suggested that we were moistening the situation. Yes. and then we're going to go in with it with the hard stuff here's my disclaimer I don't like the word moist and we won't be using that today I feel like I used that word just for you just now I think I know that about (laughs) you and I said it knowing that it was going to upset you and probably half our listeners you say it I didn't even hear you say it I didn't even hear you say it we're just intuitively all right what are we going to talk about 
Okay. All right. General message today. The general message today is that sex during pregnancy is safe and fine to continue through your pregnancy in most situations. And we'll touch on the times where it's not. But yes, some people are saying, can I have sex? Yes, yes, you have. You can. And most women, it's completely safe for. And that includes vaginal sex with penises, fingers, vibrators. Oral sex is fine. Manual sex where you're just using your hands. Anal sex, it's all fine. Unless your healthcare provider has told you not to have sex for a medical reason, you can enjoy it throughout your entire pregnancy. Again, it's got to feel safe and comfortable for you. And during pregnancy, your baby grows in your uterus and the baby is protected during sex by your uterus and your cervix, which is the opening to your uterus. There's an amniotic sac, which is full of waters, and there's a big barrier of the bag of waters in your uterus. So it's not going to hurt your baby to have sex. So firstly, when is it advised to avoid sex? Again, I'm just going to touch on this. So if your care provider has told you to avoid it, we suggest you follow their advice. And sex is one thing and orgasm is a complete other thing. So some conditions would prevent you from having penetrative sex, but an orgasm would be okay, whereas there are some conditions that would mean not having an orgasm is important. So, for example, if you have a shortening cervix or threatened preterm labour, any level of oxytocin that you receive could accentuate that and potentially put you into labour. So for women who are desperately trying to hold on to their pregnancies because their cervix is shortening, if you've been put on bed rest, if you've got a stitch in, if you need progesterone pessaries and they're concerned that you might go into preterm labour, then orgasms are also problematic. It's very sad. So, but also don't have sex if your waters are broken. So you want to prevent anything going up there. If you have a sexually transmittable illness, but with your waters are broken and you want to um, you want to bring on labour because your term orgasm in that situation without penetration, um, and there's a lot on orgasm. Like you know, there's the whole you can you we can just orgasm through breathing. Like so I know people who are totally capable of orgasming just by using their breath and connection to self. Um, yeah. If that's you, just like go for it. Just you've got your whole life enjoyed ahead of you but orgasm it can in that situation be fine it's just penetration um anything like so toys or penises or fingers correct um if it hurts you know you might not want to have sex if it hurts there could be a reason for that and I would encourage you to go and discover it because sex yes yeah so can we just say that vaginas aren't meant to hurt I've said this before and I've said this a lot on Instagram. Vaginas, so they're also, the structure of the vagina is also made out of smooth muscle. So it is not something that we can contract. Um, We can um, contract the pelvic floor muscles, but the smooth muscle is not under voluntary control. And basically vaginas are very intuitive and we know that the pelvic floor is connected to our defence mechanism. So when people say, oh, vaginal examination shouldn't hurt, what they're trying to say is when a vagina feels safe and supported and loved on, it won't hurt. When it doesn't feel safe, it will. 
So there can be an emotional thing there and people experience things like vaginismus, which is where the pelvic floor muscles contract and penetration hurts. There can be something physical. So it can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be both. It's often both. It's often emotional things underlying it. And so pain in any area of the body, pain is never, ever normal. Common, yes, normal, no. So anytime we use the word common, it means we can do something about it. When we normalize an issue, people go, oh, well, it's just because I'm pregnant or, oh, well, sex has always hurt for me. So that's just the way I am. No. So if you're having pain during any kind of sex. So some people will get pain around their clitoris because that area of the pelvic floor or the tissues around the clitoris around the mons pubis are really tight. So this penetration is okay, but clitoral touch isn't. Some people will have pain around their perineum from episiotomy scars or perineal trauma. So it can be scar tissue from different procedures. There's a whole lot it can be. So please know it's not normal. It's not something you have to put up with. And it can actually be something that you process and heal from. And sex can be enjoyable and not painful again. Vaginas are so intuitive. They will say, go away, do not come in if they don't feel okay. Yeah. Um, and they're often, it's a beautiful sign that something bigger is going on for us. Exactly. So you definitely should find out. I guess that's the message is if it hurts, it's not normal. Like B said, it's common, but go and find out why it hurts. Uh, The other reason you shouldn't have sex in pregnancy is if you have unexplained vaginal bleeding. So some vaginal bleeding pregnancy with a known cause will not prevent you from having sex, but always get it diagnosed as to why you're bleeding. Most of the time, it won't prevent you from having sex. If you have grade four or complete placenta previa where the placenta is covering your cervix or part of your cervix, then you it may be suggested that you don't have sex if sometimes that's leading to ongoing bleeds through your pregnancy. Um, the other reason, and we already spoke about, is preterm or threatened preterm labor. In this circumstance, this is the one where you also have to prevent actually having an orgasm. Uh And then obviously, yeah, if you've got oral or genital herpes, that would contradict um, some sexual behaviour. Right. Now, comfortable sex during pregnancy and B, you touched on it, vaginismus. The reason I'm going to mention it today is that I think there are a large percentage of women walking around out there that don't know what vaginismus is don't realize they have it and think that they're that this is how it is for every single woman. I've had numerous clients come to me and I've I usually always recommend a pelvic floor assessment for women during their pregnancy at some stage and a number of them have discovered that they have vaginismus during this pelvic floor assessment and it's never been mentioned to me. I think the majority of the issues we're now seeing across pelvic floor is actually tension. Yeah. So there's a whole lot to this. There's uh, there's a lot of myths and myth un- misunderstandings around the pelvic floor, particularly that the pelvic floor holds everything up and so um, that it needs to be tight all the time and that a tight pelvic floor it means a healthy pelvic floor. It doesn't. Tight is also weak. We want a muscle that's imbalanced. 
which means that they can stretch and open as they're needed. The reality is a healthy vagina will contract as it's needed and lengthen as it's needed. And it's not this, it's a structure, but it's a structure that's so capable of changing shape. Like I do internal release work with people. I can be right up on that hip bone through the vagina without any pain, any discomfort. So there's this huge belief system around vaginas and what they're meant to feel like. And then if you get anything out of today's session, I'm really going to recommend that you all read the book Vagina. And if you haven't read the book book Vagina, you really, really need to. And I'm going to butcher this. I'm not going to do it anywhere near as elegantly and as amazing as Naomi Wolf, the author, does. Um, Basically, our whole understanding of women and sex and vulvas I mean, the fact we've called vulvas vaginas basically sums all this up. But our whole understanding of how that vulva works and how sex feels and orgasms are for women is pretty much wrong um, and really misunderstood. And basically in this book, what you learn, there's a she touches on everything, but really talks about how Women in history who have been really creative, really significant women have all, she goes through the literature and looks and they've all like had these crazy love affairs that have encountered incredible sex. And she talks about how that oxytocin, but the dopamine that we get from orgasm and how it turns on parts of our brain. And so we, when we're super creative and like really flourishing, that often we're having really good sex because it turns those parts of the brain on. And then she talks about how the nerve wiring for those of us with a vulva is unique. And so what she goes on to explain is how actually we're designed to have multiple orgasms and orgasms of different kinds of intensity. In actual fact, some of us are designed to have clitoral orgasm over others. Some of us are designed to have vaginal orgasm. Some of us are actually designed to have anal orgasm over the other types of orgasm. Some are designed for perineal. And so basically what she says is that we really don't understand women's bodies very well and actually a very wrong approach and understanding to sexual pleasure for women. Yes, Mel's got a hand up. Sorry, I've got my hand up. A tea story. So I got married when I was 18 and my now husband and I, so we're having our 22-year anniversary this year, part of the inspiration was we didn't want to have sex before we got married, right? But so we got married younger, not only so we could have sex, we loved each other desperately, but we somebody gave us this book that was so perfect and the only real take-home message that we got was well, the book talked about the clitoris but actually the idea behind sexually gratifying each other was that you have to go on an exploration. And so they had these, basically they were like, don't even have sex until you know what gratifies your partner. And so there was all these little exercises of, you know, basically you were required to touch or nurture or kiss or do something to almost every part of your partner's body and take note of the buttons. Like, whoo, there's a button there, like behind my knees, mate, off the charts. 
Who would, like, we wouldn't know. I can't wait till the convergence. I'm just going to come up to you mid, like, opening speech and just, like, stroke. (laughs) Hang on, I just need more information. Was this book given to you as a wedding present? It wasn't a wedding present. It was given to us before. I I can't even remember who gave it to us. It was given to us before we got married. Yeah. I think we both read it before getting married. And when we were married, we were like, right. We know exactly what's about to happen because we're going to start exploring. And it was the most amazing thing because I think because we were so young and we'd not had previous sexual experiences, it sex could have been so rubbish. Like you can do it really badly. I think a lot of the world is having really bad sex and there's so much out there. And we're like, we're not the sex experts. We could probably tell you all our stories that you'd like. I feel like when you're like, I've got a story, everyone was like, ooh. <laughs> like, well, I guess my point. This is why we're here. Yeah, so. well, and my point was like what you were saying about this book, Vagina, where, you know, where everybody is different. The idea of exploration is to discover what differences and quirks your partner has so that you know how to have sex with them. And more importantly, what sex works for you, how sex feels for you and how you can get pleasure out of it. And that's this book, you just really, it's phenomenal. I would love for women to really be like, wow, I'm actually capable of all these orgasms and it's safe to orgasm. And I always say orgasm is the best birth prep you can do, right? So if you've come to this episode and you're pregnant, like orgasm is 100% the best emotional, physical birth prep you can do because it's you need that emotional level of being able to surrender and feel vulnerable and open and exposed and raw. Um, and then physically, your body is actually mimicking what it does as it pushes your baby out. So that pelvic floor contraction at the climax and then the lengthening and the release. It's actually very similar mechanisms to that spontaneous birth. Um, and so it's epic physiological and emotional prep. I feel like we have a lot of partners that listen to this. And I feel like if they were able to get through the foreplay bit at the start, they're probably like, yes, to this episode. Yeah. And we covered a lot of this kind of stuff too in one of our early episodes, preparing your vulva for matrescence. I think it was episode five. And we talked about the clitoral physiology and all of this other stuff about orgasm. So go back to that episode too if this is something that has whet your appetite. And so, so the book that B was talking about was called Vagina. So we we got on that that train because we were talking about painful sex and how it's never normal and it should be assessed. And there is a condition called vaginismus. Um, and it could be other things, but vaginismus at a very basic level, and there's a whole lot of stuff written about this, prevents vaginal penetration due to excessive involuntary tightening of the muscles around the vagina. It's also different to a, to tension in the pelvic floor. Tension is like the tension in the muscle, whereas vaginismus is a muscle spasming as a response to an event like penetration. And we know the research I talk about around the pelvic floor being a defense mechanism actually came from vaginismus research that was done in 2001 that showed that anytime we feel threatened, either sexually threatened or threatened in our life, that we tense our pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. And this is involuntary. So even yeah. if you are wanting, if you're actually willing to have sex, 
there's an involuntary tightening of the muscles, which is which can prevent it. So what I want to say to you is that it is absolutely curable. And I think a starting point for any woman who is experiencing this would be a women's health physiotherapist and a counsellor or, or something. Or yeah. Yeah, who's someone who's experienced with the condition that is not going to dismiss it as something else. The diagnosis can be complex and multi-layered, which is why you need to go to somebody who's experienced and knows about this. And because there, but there is a solution, and it usually focuses on a holistic approach, which treats the body and the mind and addresses all the emotional and trauma aspects of the condition. So please don't feel like you're stuck with it. It's absolutely 100 percent fixable uh, and I think the best place to start yeah would be a women's health physio or osteo and then somebody who can help you with the emotional and mental element of it who's experienced so the other thing about comfortable sex is that you can start and I think we've spoken about this too B is use sex as an opportunity to practice telling people what you want and don't want to be done to your body because this can be a really handy tool to have uh, when you're navigating and negotiating care during your birth. Yeah, and it's a great way to practice that with someone you feel safe with, like your partner, and build capacity for it. And often if we don't feel safe in those intimate relationships, that's really going to flag or highlight that we're not going to feel that safe to be able to voice it in a situation that's completely foreign and vulnerable, like giving birth with strangers in an environment like a hospital. And so, yeah, it can be a really great practice setting to find some power and own it and connect with this space again that is yours, that you are asking it to do a really powerful, incredible, hard task ahead of it. Yeah, but if there's a red, you know, it's a bit of a red flag for you if if you don't feel comfortable to say, I don't like that, stop it, to somebody that you're having sex with, then it's quite possible that you're not going to feel comfortable to say, those words to somebody who's in your birth space and so consider the possibility that you might end up allowing things to happen to you that you don't want because you don't feel like you have the capacity to say no I don't want that stop it and there's a lot to this because you're actually in a stress response Mm -hmm. you're in the fawn state so you're actually in a sympathetically driven state and this is where a lot of trauma can come because we look back and go that didn't feel right. Why didn't I speak up? And then we can self-blame and self-criticize when it's not our fault. Our body is just doing the very best it can. It's it's trying to protect us. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about actually having sex. Oh, I know. Not, I did not know we were going here today. Okay. I want to talk about comfortable sex strategies in pregnancy. So let's talk about the practicalities. Positioning. Oh. I thought we were going to talk about what turns us on, but cool. I think the biggest thing about comfort here, and we talk about this a lot in my lengthen class, there's a, there's a couple of stretches that we do um, that um, are about the hips, to open the hips and support cowgirl better because many of us um, get tight. What in- is cowgirl? Stop it. What's cowgirl? Cowgirl, when you're on top. 
Penny riding on top. Okay, thank when you. On That's top. not what I called it. That's not what I call it. What do you call it? Just on top. Ah, oh, there's cowgirl and then there's reverse cowgirl. And reverse cowgirl is when you're on the Oh, wait, no, reverse when you're facing the other way. Yes. You oh, didn't grow up with enough Dolly and Cleo, clearly. <laughs> no, no. I've literally one sexual partner and we don't have terminology like that. So, so what actually, yeah, so we do these stretch moves and um, I, yeah, one of our restorers actually said that her husband's paying for classes for, from now on because their sex life's gotten so much better because she's been able to do cowgirl and whilst pregnant, actually. So shout out to her if she's listening. Go, it, does take, um, it does take a unique set of muscles to do that. Yeah, and often what's happening is there's a lot of tension in, in the hips and they're unable to move in that way. And so it's about stretching them. So, yeah, I think a lot of comfortableness in terms of being intimate comes with your body and what it's experiencing so as always my number one tip is to actually not sexercise first but exercise so exercise leads to good sexercise because you want that range of movement and comfort in the body and I think that in pregnancy the the positions that are usually the most comfortable and easiest to use are interestingly also the best and most comfortable positions to give birth in. I mean, this could be anybody else's experience might be different, but having sex on your back when you're pregnant is probably the least comfortable. And the more comfortable ones, if you try hands and knees, standing or side-lying or cowgirl, reverse cowgirl on top, um, you can expand. It will depend on prolapse too, though. Yeah. So if if you're experiencing prolapse, you want to go, you want to have penetration in the opposite direction of your prolapse. Um, and so positions that help with that, or even if it's not prolapse, but there's just been a shift because of all the pressure and um and changes that pregnancy brings. So it really is again about exploration and experimentation and finding the positions that are right for you, but the, it will be impacted by prolapse and pillows can be your own best friend to prop yourself up um water sex actually can be like, yeah if you've got a pool um that's nourishing like just thinking well, i mean a big bath, bath a big bath would be probably better than a pool if it's you a know fresh what though with water sex um i just find there's a lot of splashing it depends on the position and where you're doing it and how you're doing it I yeah, I don't yeah know. If, you don't, if you haven't got the capacity for the splashing, I, um, I thought you were going to go with like the water in the vagina direction. Well, that's an issue. Vagina. I that's an so issue. You connect above the water and then go into it can be can prevent that. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm just thinking water can be so nourishing when you're pregnant that to take that weightlessness and heaviness off can be nice the other thing that can help is to have couch sex instead of bed sex because there's almost a lot more support and pillow options and position options where there's a bed you know that when there's a a backrest i know i feel like we need to like watch some videos and critique it (laughs) i don't think it's a good idea to start googling sex on the internet i don't think we i'm not advising anybody do that and actually that's part of my next point i'm about to go on a rant big 
warning about I'm about to have a sex rant. But first, I just want to encourage people to go easy. Try tender and gentle loving touches rather than aggressive sex at a time of pregnancy. We've got to remember that we're in a state of absolute maternal sensitivity in our brains and our bodies. And if you're having overly aggressive sex, it might not be the time for it. I mean, unless you're really into it, sure. But if this has been part of your usual sexual adventure is that it's aggressive, consider that you might have different preferences in your pregnancy and that it's okay to actually change completely your sexual style while you're pregnant based on the changes that are happening in your body and your mind. So there was that. But also, oh, this is a real massive topic, but I want to talk about the pornification of our sex lives. Is this the right time to discuss this kind of thing? Bee's nodding. She's like, go there. Because my real issue is, is that I was so fortunate to get advice from this magical book, which basically said, explore each other's bodies, find out what each other's like, find the spots that work, everyone should orgasm, don't forget the clitoris, basically, to the advice that I feel like a lot of the world is getting is that we're learning how to have sex from pornography. And I've got a real issue with pornography and the impact that it's having on society, including children and girls and boys who are taking these things as facts, as educational, as like as some kind of a standard because we like do we already know that porn it's not really a collection of sex options for us to try like it's not like hey here's the the options we have to remember like these people are actors it's an industry fraught with abuse that takes advantage of vulnerable people and it was never intended as a sex classroom like it was designed to create addicts who will consume it and spend money to exploit people's bodies. There's actually research, I saw a research paper the other day that showed that it was done on men, um, that men that watch a lot of sex, how their brain is changed from watching it. It is 100%. This is actual science. So if you look at the brain of an, an alcoholic or a drug addict or somebody who watches a lot of porn, which, by the way, is a sexual addiction, so if somebody that you love or you are somebody who watches a lot of pornography, it's actually a form of addiction and it's a similar root cause to any other addiction, to any other substance. Which is trauma. It's a yeah, an addiction that many, many people have addictions and they don't even know it, like work, workaholics, people that exercise a lot. You know, and and your so brain is changed. But, yeah, there's a... There's a yeah, research that shows that it really impacts our brain. Well, it changes. Uh, so a sexual addiction or watching a lot of porn changes your brain in the same way as if you were taking a lot of drugs. And what ends up happening is then you end up developing an unhealthy need. So you're like when you take drugs or alcohol, you need more, you need to up the ante and people move on to harder and harder things to get the same effect. The same thing happens with pornography and that actually you can desensitize your body to normal non-porn sex 
all of a sudden you cannot get satisfaction from. And so people need to keep experimenting with more and more interesting and alternate things in their sex life just to get an orgasm because they've so desensitized themselves to what sex actually is. <clears throat> and and we get marketed this a lot lately. I feel like those that are really pioneering for women to have better sex often do it in conjunction with sex toys. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the discussion around the fact that you can orgasm with breath is that actually things like sex toys desensitize us and then we require more and more and more so we actually require more toys faster toys heavier stimulating toys as opposed to what we're designed to do which is have touch and connection and total body connection to ourselves and to another human and so all these kind of devices that we're marketed it's like that quick fix, that quick fix orgasm as opposed to what's biologically being designed for us, which is deep body, out-of-body experiences. Like, you know, that out-of-body sexual intimacy is what we're designed to have. And, you know, with, with if those chemicals, if they're in our body and in our brain, like the dopamine, that's where we get open up and we're able to live in this different kind of space because those chemicals have infiltrated our brain and opened up those brain centres. But actually what is happening to us is we're getting more and more desensitised. So it's not just porn. It's actually a hell of a lot of sex toys and what else is marketed to us in the area such as like, you know, sexy lingerie. And again, as with anything I say, take what lands, throw out the rest. Like... It's got to land for you and be right for you. And um, I really see sex toys can have their place, especially for women who haven't felt safe with orgasm and may need or felt safe with intimacy and other people. But, yeah, it's exactly the same. The body then has that threshold and it wants more, needs more, as opposed to actually bringing it back to deep connection. Absolutely. So, like, these things just kind of, it cheapens the purpose of sex and you actually get robbed of the value and opportunities that it can offer you. If we're just aiming for this pornified sex and that's the standard, then you don't really know sex if if your standard is to do whatever you've seen in, in a pornography film. And honestly, the, like the issue of sexual addiction, I think, is glazed over because society just says, yeah, yeah, it's fine to watch that kind of stuff. But I just want to let you know that it is damaging your brain. Like it's not fine actually for you. So if you're listening and your partner's watching or you're watching pornography and using it as the classroom for ultimate sex, don't rob yourself of the opportunity for ultimate sex by letting that be your standard. That's, it's not real. Like we've got to all know that it's actually fake and that the whole industry is designed to take your money and to get you hooked. If I, yeah, it would be beautiful to bring it back to connection, which is what we yeah. all really need, nourishing each other and that whole taking care of each other rather than taking score, like actually just see it as this beautiful way to to feel deeply close and connected to each other before 
the family expands. It's actually what you're craving is connection to the people Ooh. you love, the person you love the most. I mean, sex is an opportunity. It's to deepen the love and the relationship using your body and pleasuring each other and reconnecting with each other rather than opportunity to just use a list of techniques that you've like Googled on the internet. And now we're being marketed. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, now we're being marketed like hairless sex actors to go, here you go. I do. I always talk about bringing back the bush because hair is there as as a protection like it's there as a protection from bacteria but also you can see so much less when there's hair there so I'm a big fan of bringing back the bush but we know that our I think I'm going to get this wrong but the labioplasticity is that the right terminology like where people have their labia um plastic surgery for their labia um is labioplasty that's right I've said it yeah thank you is on the rise and it's because of what we're fed and what we're shown. Like I think I looked up the stats the other day. I think it's something around three quarters of women have the labia majora shorter than the labia minora, meaning the inside, and I've done that with inverted commas, the inside lips or the vulva lips actually are bigger than the outside ones so this idea that the vulva is perfect with the outside lips containing the inside lips is actually only normal for one quarter of and it's possible that people listening haven't heard this take on it and don't even realize that that we can have different types of orgasms even and actually the difference between an orgasm where you have taken ages to get there just because you're completely indulging in you know each other's bodies versus like if it's kind of down to business and like just having a quickie the orgasm is completely different whether it's been with yourself or with somebody else or with a toy or with touch like it's all kind how it flows on in your body and how your body receives it and the benefits are very different yeah and so yeah if you're hearing this for the first time we are glad to just oh I don't want to say blow open your sex life but you know it's like consider that you're not getting the best out of this experience that you possibly could and like think about how you can do that with each other it's kind of there's there's so much room for sex to get better in our in our future like I think people often like oh I'm with this same person forever but the more connected you are the better your sex becomes and the better your relationship becomes so yeah I hope people end up having really exceptional sex lives like maybe in 20 years time we'll just hear from all these people who are like you know what the last 20 years of my sex life have been phenomenal because I listen to your podcast but yeah there's no right or wrong there's no you should be having this amount of sex and I think research has shown us that we're not having a lot of sex so you're not alone like postpartum I just want to put it out there like my second postpartum I had sex once in that year because I was drowned like I my business was booming there were big feelings between kids there was COVID happened like it was huge Mm. so there's no right or wrong I think Mel and I are both at that season in our parenting where it's starting to feel easier there's more space 
there's more capacity for relationships. So if you're listening to this being like, yeah, well and good, but I don't even want him or her to freaking touch me right now. I just want to say I get that, 100% get that. I've been there. I know that when we're not getting our needs met in other areas of our life, it can be very hard to turn up to intimacy. And so there's no right or wrong. And if you're not being intimate right now and you don't feel like it, you are 100% not alone. Um and hopefully this little take on actually, can you take it for you? Can you take it as having, you know, more fun? I've got this saying at the moment, fun over frustration. Like how can we have more fun? How can we have more fun? What can we do that's fun? Um, and, yeah, hopefully this this podcast has enabled more fun and less frustration in I your know. life. Well, I've got two more little sections. I know this is, this is a big episode, this big episode, but. I want to talk about things that you might discover when having sex during pregnancy. Uh, I want to just let you know that it might feel different to what it used to feel like before you were pregnant for both you and your partner because your vulva and body is changing. So, again, you might indulge in a little bit more exploration if you haven't already explored each other's bodies. Re-explore because your body is changing. And during that exploration, you might discover how your partner also feels about your changing body. And that can be really important because I know that some women will say, my partner doesn't want to have sex with me anymore because they're worried or their changing body is not appealing for some reason or another. And going back to my previous point about pornography, it could be that we're expecting an unrealistic standard, but it could be multiple other things. But that's what you might discover. And some things that might happen to you during or after sex when you are pregnant, uh, and especially in the third trimester, is that sex might cause you to have some cramps or contractions right after sex or during orgasm. And the reason for that is that your orgasm releases a hormone called oxytocin, which is the exact hormone that gets released when you go into labor and it causes your uterus to contract. And as you get further along in your pregnancy, your uterus is gaining more oxytocin receptors. So it's more susceptible to responding to oxytocin. So if you feel contractions and tightening after sex, that's pretty normal. It can last a few hours, but it should go away. It shouldn't put you into labor. The other thing is that male semen contains prostaglandins, and that can also act on your cervix to cause contractions. So They'll typically go away if they continue and become stronger and you're not full term, contact your health provider for sure. Um, the other thing is that after vaginal sex, you may have some spotting, blood spotting. It should be a very small amount of bleeding and more likely pink than sort of bright red. And that's because there are small blood vessels on the, sur on the surface of your cervix and in your vaginal wall that can become a bit more leaky, I guess, and more prone to bleeding when touched. So mild spotting for 24 to 48 hours after sex can be normal, so provided there's no other symptoms. So if you have, but if you have vaginal bleeding heavy enough that's going to need a pad, then you should contact your health provider. It shouldn't be that much. Fresh blood means it's just happened, and if it changes to old brown blood, that means it's it's happened previously. All right, last few things. Fun facts with Mel. This is some things that I found. Fun facts or sex facts with Mel? Fun sex facts with Mel. Okay. 
So uh, as I was researching, for I this, feel like this needs to be a this needs to be like Dolly Doctor, like where people can write in, dear Mel, yeah. I'm in the ninety four percent and. <laughs> so, I have there is a resource folder for this podcast episode, as you all know. If you sign up to the mailing list for this podcast on my website, melanythemidwife.com, you'll get access to the resource folder, and all of these papers that I'm about to talk to you about are in there if you're interested but there is actually a number of research papers like enough to get my attention about the oral or vaginal consumption of semen and its link to a reduction in preeclampsia incidence in women who are having their first baby it makes very specific reference to swallowing sperm and having barrier free vaginal sex for a reduction in the number of first-time mothers who will get preeclampsia. And it's not just one paper, B. It's a number of papers. Hang and on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you swallow semen, you... Or have, it in, or have it in your vagina. Contact. You want contact. There is an association with a decreased risk of preeclampsia. Statistically. I, I don't want to, this is part of the disclaimer at the beginning. Please do not do this because I said that it can reduce your preeclampsia risk, but there are a number of papers. I'm not going to go into the details. They're all in the resources. A Facebook group has just been started. A Facebook group has just been started by people with penises who want more blow shots. I was like, man, this is bad. This is bad information. How dare you? Where are studies done? Where are they done? Who came up with that? I have it. They must be interested in the prostaglandin. Surely, like, it's connected to the prostaglandin. And I say, though, that there was way more, by number, way more papers on, on, oral consumption of sperm than there were about the comfort levels during sex for pregnant women. I'm. This is like a worldly conspiracy by men doing research about, see, we told you, you should be swallowing. And I was disgusted, but also there was enough research that I can't leave it out because it's fun sex facts with Mel. That's Incredibly- hilarious. I love that you. Uh, I couldn't leave it out. I couldn't leave it out, B. I'm like, look, there's like pages of these things. I'm a hundred percent doing. I'm a hundred percent doing Instagram posts on that. You watch it. Go to the resource folder. You'll find all the papers there. You can read it yourself. That's all I'm saying about it. My next fun sex fact with Mel. Again, there is more than one research article available that strongly discourages blowing air into the vagina during oral sex because it can cause a rare but recorded complication called venous air embolism or just air embolism. And there are recorded cases of women dying because their partner blew air into their vagina. And this is why if you search online like brochures, mainstream brochures about having sex during pregnancy, they mentioned do not, they explicitly mentioned do not allow air to be blown into your vagina during oral sex. Those papers are in the research folder too. Apparently can actually kill you during pregnancy. And again, not just a single research paper, multiple research papers. Were they the same authors? 
different authors, um, different cases. Some of them were the same case and a lot of them were done way back like in the 40s, 30s and 40s where they had. And I so think that's I, really important to mention. I don't know. I'm like, who's blowing into vaginas? But apparently blowing air into vaginas, I, I suspect though, so it was very interesting because all of the papers involved young teen, teen mothers and I wonder if there was some conspiracy like, anyway, I'll read the papers if you're interested or if this is your habit, don't do it but until you read the papers. I mean, anyway, fun, fun sex facts about Final fun sex fact and this doesn't have any papers relating to it but I'm just sharing it because a client passed it on to me and now I want to tell everybody else. But you can use orgasm for the management of pregnancy-related nausea or vomiting. I'm not suggesting that this is a solution to hyperemesis, but I did have a client who was just perpetually nauseous throughout her entire pregnancy and made the interesting discovery that for about four or five hours after orgasming, she did not feel nauseous. So did start to use it as a therapeutic strategy for preventing See, nausea. That would be worth having a research paper on. Right. That so, would be much more beneficial academic uh, time than the previous. Well, look, no, there's, surely there's got to be something else that decreases our risk of preeclampsia than having to do that. But yeah. um and and insomnia. Inso oh, orgasms for insomnia. Orgasms for insomnia. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anything yeah. That, have you thought got, about it? Have you got any fun facts? Fun sex I, facts? Even if I do, I feel like we've multiple we've climaxed multiple times and we're at that stage now where it's like oh, I'm done. Like I just yeah. leave me leave me to fall asleep now. Don't touch. Yeah, don't touch. Yeah, it don't again. touch. It's just two cents. I feel like we've mul we've had multiple orgasms in this session, and I and I don't need to add anything else. I think it's exceeded my wildest dreams. This uh, podcast episode. What did you, you did not think I was going to deliver this like this, did you? I just um, well, I knew what I was bringing, so I knew it was going to have a turn. But I mean. Yeah, the semen, the semen research. I I feel like I need some time with that. Yeah, I mean, I did make it up. I I just honestly felt like I needed to mention it because I couldn't glaze over the fact that there was way too many papers about it. So you're welcome. And um, that has been this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. B and I will see you next week, which hopefully we can top ourselves. Hopefully we're. Where if you know if we're both more creative next week, you'll know that we've gone and had a lot more, a lot more intimacy. And All right, legends. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for being with us. We hope you have better sex. Bye. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right.